Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. So welcome to everyone and welcome this week's guest, Matt Fletcher. Matt, how are you? Really good, Dan. Thank you. How are you? Going well. And a fellow fellow para fan, so we can uh, we can empathise with, with each other's pain after the grand final loss a couple of weeks ago most, now. Most certainly can. It does feel like a bit of a, a, a memory now. I, I think I've processed the pain. That happened pretty quickly. But yeah, it was a disappointment, that's for sure. Uh, absolutely. I, I kind of uh, processed it like this. We Two months before, we, we were in danger of missing the finals altogether. So uh, to, to go on the run, we did. That was, that was pretty good. And when we, let's face it, we ran into a red hot team. We did. And I enjoyed the run too. I thought the run was enjoyable to be on. So, and yeah. and it's, it's good to be able to think about that instead of just the defeat. Yeah, absolutely. Not like 2001 where... Uh, yeah, anyway, let's not uh, make this a uh, counselling service for, uh, for um, troubled Parramatta fans. Let's uh, let's get into your story. So uh, you said before we jumped on, Matt, that you you have been pretty open about your struggles with alcohol and drugs and, and you don't shy away from any of that. You've been a, on quite a journey. And there's a few different moments that you mentioned, defining moments, but you said uh, – a couple of them really stood out. So you said at 26, you end up in rehab just because you got to that point where life wasn't manageable. So what was it like in the lead up to that? Like what what had your uh, addiction, I guess it was at that point, yeah? What had that yeah. led you, like what was the journey that had led you through up until that point? Look, when I did the senior rehab, so it was three weeks in St. John of God, a rehab at Burwood, we did some exploration in there with psychologists and psychiatrists. And I guess one of the things that we look for is, well, why? Why why we got to this point? And I didn't have any other reason, and I've become clear on it now, apart from I was a product of my environment. And what I mean by that is uh, my fir- I've been in the fitness industry for about 26 years, and my first job out of school was in a gym in Fairfield. And I just hung out with with people that like to party like it's as simple as that like i just hung out with people that like to party so the introductions you know we talk about the normal drinking that goes on and and i guess for a, a you know a, a, a young man that grows up in, in in sydney there's a level of normality around drinking and for some then that stems into drug use and that was me like i was i was caught up in it i had no reasons i wasn't escaping anything i got a a, a brilliant, a brilliant upbringing that I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, a family that that you know we all still love each other very much. But um, I got in the wrong crowd. Like I got in in with a whole bunch of people that 
you know, really liked to drink and party, and that led me to 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 do the same. And that led, you know, that was a good solid five or six or seven years until, you know, my life became unmanageable. And what I mean by that is I was still highly functioning, working with jobs of, you know, pretty high responsibility, but I didn't rock up to work one Monday morning. Like I was physically incapable of getting myself to work and my employer at the time was looking for me. And they rang my parents at my home and I wasn't there and they couldn't explain where I was and I was at my girlfriend at the time's house and, I had to come clean. Like I had to come clean with my parents, first of all, to say, I'm out of control. Like I can't stop this. It's at a point where I can't stop it. And then the suggestion was made to go to rehab and I put both hands up and I said, let's do it. And and I went to rehab and, and um, got a little bit clear on the fact that I was, I was an alcoholic and my life had become unmanageable. Um, mm. and, 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 and that's not where it got better though. It didn't get better then, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to um, dig a bit more there if we can because you said something that, that really sort of uh, it got me thinking around what I know of sort of gym culture. I know all gyms are different, and but when I was growing up, a lot of my mates who went to the gym, yeah, they, they partied as well. It's almost a contradiction, right? But I guess when you're at that age, the reason you're at the gym is not necessarily the same as it is when you get to to an older age when you're when you're more about staying healthy and and maintenance. It's a yeah. it's a different different thing. So so what what was the what why was everyone doing that? What were they actually getting out of that experience? Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting question. What were they getting out of it? And and it's not now. It's not until now that I can look back and and possibly answer that. At the time, it was. It was an experience. It was all, you know, at, at times it was an out of, out of mind, sometimes out of body experience. And, and, and it was, you know, letting, letting loose. Uh, it was experimentation. It was socializing. It was, um, you know, there was, there was communities and there was, so we got into the, the, the dance party scene in, in, in Sydney. So that was for me a, a place that was almost like, a, it was like a, I was drawn to it. You know, the, the Oxford Street dance club scene. Um, nightclubs until 6am or 10am the next day. Um, what they were getting out of it, uh, you know, my, my answer to that now would be very different to what it was then. Then it was like it was almost like a, a, a really fun experience, you know, to experiment with different drugs. And, and what I'm talking about is, is ecstasy and, and, and cocaine were the two main ones that were, were, were part of the, the, the scene then. Um but then for me, it wasn't just that party scene. It was that I didn't switch off at the end of the weekend. I would then continue to drink or smoke pot Monday to Friday as well, um, whilst still managing to, to maintain a job and, and, and physically train people. Like that was, you know, do what I say, don't do what I do. Um, so for me, I didn't have an off switch. I didn't know how to stop at the end of the weekend. So it was almost like I would continue to top up during the week preparation for the next weekend, and that was very much my cycle. It's almost the very definition of high functioning, like the ability just to, to use at that level and, and continue to show up for the places that you had to show up. Yeah, look, I became a very good, um, a very good liar, you know, lying about uh, what I felt like and lying about um, you know where I spent my time and 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 putting on one front for the people that 
I worked with at the gym and then a, a completely different picture for the people that I was socialising with away from the gym. And were you conscious that you were being deceptive or it was just it was just uh, dealing with whatever you were going through the best way you could at the time? Very much so, yeah. At that point in time, it was like, well, that's what I had to do. You know, I, I had to put up that that front, you know, that that um, that persona that everything was under control, but behind closed doors, that's not what the case was, you know. But I didn't know any different. Like from that age of 18, 19, I got into it relatively quickly. And then, you know, and, and I got into it not thinking about the, con- you know, I'm not making great decisions. I'm not uh, evaluating my behaviour. I'm just deep into it. And the more I reflect back on those times, I, I see it now, and 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 that's a big part of what I look at with with what I do with with people to help them these days. Is is, is I look at okay, well, your environment is very much going to determine more often than not your outcomes. Um, if I didn't go into that that area with those people at that time in my life, and I went somewhere else, that part of my life wouldn't have happened. I really believe that. I don't feel that I was destined to be a an alcoholic or a drug addict. Um, but I am just not a, just not a practicing one anymore. Yeah. Nice. And we want to get more into that journey around how you made that transition. Um, I'm, I'm always curious about cause the environment that you're in has an impact. And like, I think about my time in transitioning from school to uni and being a, a kid that was shy at times, lacked confidence. And then I go to uni and I'd, discover alcohol and I suddenly am able to manufacture artificial confidence to go and do a whole lot of different things and it was a real game changer and and like you described it was a heap of fun but up to a point then it's to the detriment but now going on the doing the work that I do now I'm always fascinated about cause and and why that would have been and sometimes it is it's just it's a it's a matter of circumstance sometimes it's actually not a, a massive event or anything else that steers us on that path. It just can be mm. like a behavior pattern. And like for me, it was a behavior pattern of, well, I get overwhelmed with uh, with emotions. So if I do this, it kind of numbs it a bit. You kind of, like how you described it, it almost sounded like it's it was almost uh, an addictive sort of thing. It was like, you didn't intend to get in that path, but somehow you, you get into this space and it's like that you, whatever you're getting out of it just become almost like self-perpetuating. Is that, is it, does that sort of resonate with you? Is it like that? that um... Yeah, it does. Look, and I've, I've been asked that question a lot, like why? Why did, you, why did you become an alcoholic? And it's not like, it's not like I, I wanted to, nor, did, nor is there at any point uh, an event or a circumstance that, or a, or, a, or, a, or a period of my life that led me to go there. Um, I'm really clear on the fact that it that it's very much to do with yeah. There's a there's a personality trait within me, and I use that to my advantage today. But you know, if I if I do something repeatedly, it gets stuck in my behaviour pattern. And and for me, I was doing the wrong thing repeatedly. And and then obviously when we're dealing with substances that your body becomes physically addicted to, in combination with the the mental compulsion for me to do it, it's quite a significant combination that leads to a very difficult transition away from it, um, which is, you know, which is part of the struggle for me, and I know it is for, for many people, um, 
and that's why today I've, I've got some different thoughts around it and different different beliefs around it that that are one day at a time keeping me sober. I'm seven years and one month um, drug and alcohol free. Anything anything mind altering at all for me is, is is a concern, and I steer away from it. Good man, well done. Um, yeah, I want to I want to really highlight that point because I know I've spoken to a lot of people. Um, and they may have had some almost fear or trepidation around going down the path of talking to someone because they're worried about what they might find. Yep. 99.9999% of stuff is just exactly like you described. Then it's just a behavior pattern that's been there yep. usually from really early years, like from before we're three or four. And then when we get to an adult year, the behavior pattern doesn't work. And, and, and some yep. of them work but some of them are to our massive detriment. And, and like you described, in some areas it still works, that, that behaviour pattern, but in others it actually it has this sort of impact. So um, thank you for highlighting that because it's, it's, it's simplifying how people see trauma and grief. It's not always this massive thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a product of, as you described, product of your environment. Yeah. If you just if you describe your your childhood and your upbringing and you've got great relationship with your parents and your grandparents, like it's like there'd, there'd be nothing that you could point your finger to that it might have caused it, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes, and I'm a, I'm no expert in this insofar as discovering the reason why we do things, but I do feel a lot of um, strong belief around well, if it, if it didn't work for you or it's caused you for it not to work, then we can change that. And, and for me, that's a huge, a huge thing. You know, that ability to have that, well, just because it was like that, it doesn't mean it has to stay like that. And, and part of what I needed to do was to recognize that I can change if I want to. And that's what we do with, within our, our coaching program is, is get people to go, well, if it's not working and you're not happy with it, then you're in charge of changing it. And, and regardless of what the reason was to get you to that point, here we are today and here's the opportunity to bring about something different. And that's cool when people can go, you know what, that's right. That doesn't have to be my story. If it doesn't sit well with me, it doesn't bring me joy. Let's change it. Um, And then it's about saying, what do I need to do consistently to bring about a new pattern of behavior? And it bloody works. It really does. Like today, my life is completely different to what it was in active alcoholism. I love that. So if you look back then from 26, you go to rehab, that wasn't the moment that changed everything and you go back into sort of this repeat pattern. What, what did rehab need then that it didn't have? You know what? Um, I feel, and, and so I still, I still um, see and, and have the ability to, to connect with people in rehab and outside of rehab with, with my recovery because that's part of my recovery. Part of my recovery is to help other people in addiction, you know, find, find a life that brings them joy. And I think the big thing is for people in rehab, and I was the same, you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place where you're not exposed to the, the temptations. You've got people around you that care about you. You build new friendships and support networks. The challenge is then getting back out into life with, you know, potentially not enough um, confidence or time up insofar as away from the last drink or drug um, or support around you. Uh, And then what happens is life starts to, you know, 
play its role again and that is you know throws up challenges and if we don't have the the necessary skills to be able to deal with those challenges then our our fallback you know coping mechanism is to is to pick up drinking drugs and and you know i don't know that rehab i'm no expert in that space i don't know what they need to do or what needs to be done in in that time and i'm sure that's constantly being refined I feel like having another community outside of it. So I know for me personally, um, I, I'm still a part of the AA program. It's, it's, it's my number one priority in, in, in everything that I do. I write goals. We've got a, a goal board in our gym here and, and the coaches and athletes write their goals on the board. And my number one goal is maintain my sobriety one day at a time because I know if I do that, the other stuff will be okay. If I don't do that, I lose everything else that's on offer for me. Um, but for me, community is huge, you know, so you have a little community inside rehab of, of, of friends going through similar struggles to you. And then you've got your professionals helping you. And if you come out of there and there's no community of like-minded people that are trying to, you know, pick you up instead of drag you back down again, that's where I see the gap being. So maybe there's an opportunity for rehabs to, and they do it, align people with programs such as AA or align people with other groups of like-minded people, that to me is an opportunity to build then on what has happened in rehab. Um, you know, the challenge is if you go out of rehab and you start hanging out with your old old mates in the old environments, you know, you sit in the barber chair long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Well, the alcoholic is you go and hang out with your old mates. So, you know, the, the, the disconnect from the the bad and the reconnect with the good is, is, is really critical. Yeah, right. And was that was – that- quick like you come out of rehab and then like you you kept it going for a, a few months I, few weeks few I, days I, like did about, I did about 12 months i did about 12 months i think i got a close to 12 months of sobriety if if not just over 12 months of sobriety uh, and when i talk sobriety i talk alcohol and drugs so pot was a part of my story uh and i think i picked up pot before i picked up alcohol again but then for me it was just years and years of switching one for the other i'd go i'm smoking too much pot get rid of it and then I'd pick up the drink and then the drink can get out of control. I can't drink all this, pick up the pot again. So I would go from one to the other. And so, then I had, and, then, and I'd always justify it. I'd always justify and go, Oh, the pot's not as bad as the drink. Now for me, they're all in the same category as they also the way in which I'm able to use my brain and, 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 and they're all, they're all on the program. So what, what was the, was there an incident? Like, was there like, were you going through a, a stage where you you ended up smoking pot again? I'm trying to remember. I feel like, and, and the timeline's not crystal clear for me, but I've got a feeling it was um, a trip to Queensland with a friend, and then he went back, and I went further up to Queensland to meet another friend. And this might sound cliche, but I'm pretty sure that there was a situation where there was a drink ordered in a club and, and I accidentally got an alcoholic drink, but then I knew it was alcoholic. I drank it and then I kept going. And I made a conscious decision. There was no, I'm not saying it was an accident and that forced me to pick up again. Um, but I knew, I knew that there was alcohol in the drink and then I drank it. Um, and my guard was down, you know, I was away from my normal environment. Um, I know I hadn't been to a meeting for I don't know how long. So for me, and this is now the, the big lesson that I've learned, um, is that I need to continue to go to meetings to stay sober. And I, I got clear on that in a meeting one night where I was sitting in a meeting and there were two two members that had like 50 and 60 years of sobriety up, two, two elder men, uh, one who has passed, the other who's still with us. 
and, and it clicked for me. And I've gone, hang on, why are these guys still going to meetings every week after 50 years of sobriety? And, and it's like, uh-huh, they're still here because that's what keeps them sober. And there was a real light bulb moment for me. And that was, that was cool. It was like, you're here for good, mate. You're here for good. And when I accepted that, I was able to embrace it even more. And then I started to love that community. That community that I'm talking about is, is for me, AA. I go to a meeting once a week and, and, and I love it for that reason, because I know it brings me the life that I've got today. If I don't go to meetings, there's a, there's a very high possibility that I might pick up again. Like if I don't continually have that reminder that, you know, when I drink and drug, my life is a certain way, um, it's there. It's, it's within me. We, know, we talk about it. It's doing push-ups in the background. That little alcoholic's going, I'm waiting for that guard to go down. And when that guard goes down, I'm coming out. I'm going to pick up a drink and then it'll be full-blown again. I haven't got any better at drinking. I've got better at living without drinking. Mm, that's good. Uh, makes me think of a conversation I've been having a lot in the last few weeks. It's how often do people go away from what got them into the good space? They go, oh, everything's going well now. I don't have to do these these different disciplines and and daily routines that got me here. And then they drop it off. And what happens is they fall off a cliff pretty quick, or yeah. they slowly do, which is probably worse. Yeah. And then you know, a month, two, six down the track, they go, how do I get back here in this hole? Yeah, I think that's interesting because I just spoke to one of our athletes this morning about a shoulder. She, she had a, she's had a shoulder problem. She's done some rehab. She's got some physio work. The shoulder's really good. And she said, it feels really good. I go, keep doing the work. Keep doing the work that got your shoulder good because what happens is we forget about what got it good and then that problem will come back. And it's the same with us and, and the work we do. We, we teach meditation in our program and people get it. They practice it. They start to feel good and then they lose the practice. And we like it when they go, oh, something feels different. And, it's, and I'll go, what is it? And they go, I haven't meditated for a while. And that's cool when you can recognize, yeah, something's happened here. What feels different? Oh, that's right. I haven't done my meditation practice for a while. And then you know what it feels like to do it and not do it. The key is obviously then can we recognize when that behavior has dropped off and get back onto it before the problems start to arise? Mm, love that. Uh, and for someone who's been a like nearly 10 years now, a meditator, like exactly like you described, it's like when I don't, then I'll know the difference. And Something it's different, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, when I go on holidays is often when I don't. Yep. And I just like I just want to switch off from all routine. Um, but then there are times when I make sure I still do on holidays when I get more out of my holidays as well. So it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Like the, these patterns that haven't served us, great. Well, let's build in these new ones and then we just want to throw them out when when uh, when everything gets back to a, a place that where we feel okay. So I know actually that's the time where we've got to make sure we install those yep. habits to take us to the next level and at the yep. very least keep us above the line we want to stay above. For sure, yeah, and, and I think that's it. And a lot of these habits, they're not glamorous. They don't bring us about instant gratification, but when – pieced together nicely with lots of other little good habits, they do bring about a, a really phenomenal life. Like, and, and, and I like to believe that what I've got today is not a result of one thing. It's a result of putting bits of work into multiple areas of my life. And then what we get is a, is a really good outcome. Um, and it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that life becomes easy. Life's still bloody hard. There's still stuff that's going on all the time that's difficult and we get those things thrown at us. But I know that when I, when I do those little things, I can manage whatever comes my way. 
Yeah, it's a good point. There are still challenges. I say this to, to, to clients in, in the early stages. Like, it's not about getting things getting easier. Yep. When you go on this journey, the, the challenges get bigger, but you just get so much better at dealing with them. You have yep. more strategies and more coping mechanisms and more ways to, to get by, and yep. you just you deal with them with a different sort of clarity and, and calm that that's, makes it all worthwhile, right? And the, yeah, and, and like you said, the delayed gratification, instead of trying to be this quick fix, which I, I know is just drummed into people with all the different messages they hear, it's actually a more overall feeling of well-being, of yep. feeling happy and joyful more often and, and yep. rising that level of your sort of default, default feeling rather than the default being something far together worse. Yeah, I think if, it, if like talking about those drinking and drugging days, like I was always looking for what's, you know, how do I get that, you know, that feeling that, that high. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then the challenge with that is once we get up there, we get down here. And, and now for me, I talk about the magic is in the middle. The magic is just that quiet, calm, you know, there's that level of, I don't want to get, too up there, like, you know, there's too much up there means too much down here. For me, the magic is that steady ground in the middle, and, and I like that. I like that. That's where I feel, you know, we talk about the flow. That's where I feel that flow is just so fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, we can have that more of that level level base but also still get more of those moments of high without having to go through the, the moments of low. That's and that, cool. that's that's where I always, I'm always shooting for, and and you touched on that the the flow. I think we'll we'll definitely come back to that because that's an area I'm definitely passionate about. I want to get more around the story still though because we we've, we've yep. kind of got to that point where you've come out of rehab and then and then you've relapsed. So yep. like you said, you battled for sort of ten years. Then like so, when you say yep. battled, like what 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 impact are we talking? Like is this impacting other parts of your life as well? Very much so, very much so. And, and you know, I talk with. Um, you know, I talk with, with the people that have been there the whole time, you know, about it. And, and um, you know, there was, there was a lot of lies and, and, and a lot of hiding what I did because once I came out of rehab, my story was that I was a non-drinker. So then, you know, I had to take what I used to do in public to behind closed doors because I couldn't, I couldn't be that failure. I couldn't be that person that was not successful after rehab. Yeah. So, you know, I was very select with who I um, drunk and, and, and drugged with um, or I didn't do it with anyone. It was all done by myself behind closed doors. Or partners at the time uh, often would know the depths of where I was at. Um, but for me, the struggle was, you know, how do I try to continue on with life? And, and now when I look back, you know, I never really did anything um, – really well you know i might have might have appeared to be doing things well but now when i understand you know about what effort needs to go into doing things and then it was so i would get periods of sobriety up by going back to meetings for anywhere from a week or two to a month or two you know or a relationship would bust up and, and i was it was me like i was you know there were there was never any issues with with you know the other partner it was me like when you know when, when there was a problem i was there for it you know i put my hand up to that 
So, you know, a relationship had bust up or I'd, I'd moved move from one job to another. You know, I started to do the job hopping thing, thinking the job would need to sort the problem out. But I was there again at the next job. I was still the problem. Yeah. So I'd get some sobriety up, I'd get a bit healthy and then stop going to meetings, pick up again. And then the cycle would continue. And then it could go on for, you know, a year or two years. And then I'd find myself back in AA, back into meetings, going, here I am again. And, and AA is brilliant for, re, re, you know, a returning member. Um, a lot of people don't go back because of embarrassment. If anyone's listening to this and, and that's their situation, AA will always welcome people back with open arms and, and, and understand the nature of alcoholism and, 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 and drug use is that, you know, people are going to relapse. But um, we've got to keep trying, you know, and, and, and that's what I did. I kept trying until I got it. Um, and yeah, it probably was a solid 10 years. I became a father of 36 and it was about probably, you know, I, I was pretty good. I had a scare. I had a drink driving scare, um, a drink, an, an almost, I should say an almost drink driving scare. Um, I was behind the wheel. I was affected by alcohol. Uh, I got pulled over by a police car. It was an undercover police car that, um, I spotted. I knew it was an undercover police car and you must've thought I looked a bit concerned. Anyway, he pulled me over and he checked my license and I don't have any any history with the law. And I thought the next thing is he's going to breath test me. That's what they do. Anyway, he didn't breath test me. He let me go. But I was over the limit. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I thought that would have had to have been enough to scare the living daylights out of me to never do it again. Hmm. It scared me enough to get back to AA for a little while, get sober, but then, you know, it happened again. I think it was about six months worth of sobriety and then I picked up again. Um, but becoming a father was the big catalyst for real change for me. Hmm. I, we'll come to that. I just want. I just wanted to touch on something there. Do you know now what was like? What was happening that was leading you back to using? If you were going through these different moments where everything was, where everything was going okay, like was like was it relationships would get challenging and then you would go back to using? Was it uh, the job was not? fulfilling like what what or was it completely random yeah no it wasn't it, it was the alcohol it was the untreated alcoholic it was the untreated alcoholic so it was the the fact that there was you know there's a, and, and this is this is not i don't think it's well and truly understood enough but um i'm allergic to alcohol and what that means is when i put alcohol into my system i need to put more in you know the person who the person who's allergic to bees doesn't become a, a someone that has a, a beehive and, and makes honey. You know what I mean? They stay away from the danger. And the alcoholic, when treated, understands that it's the first drink for me that does the damage. So if I don't have the first drink, I don't have the second or the third or the fourth one. And the reason I kept going back was because I didn't have a clear enough understanding of that, nor did I have a clear enough distinction to the pain that that was causing me. So what? I, so there was never any, at this point, this happened and it led you to go and pick up a drink. It was my coping, it was my coping mechanism. I recognize that today. It was how I dealt with managing my feelings. Yeah. Because right. I didn't know, like realistically, and I look at this now, I have as an adult about seven years experience with managing feelings. And one of the things that, one of the things that happens when you become sober is you learn how to feel. And for me, I had to learn how to feel sad, happy, hungry, tired, all the emotions, 
all the feelings. You know, I had to learn how to deal with those feelings because all I ever used to do was didn't matter. I just pick up a drink, finish work, pick up a drink, someone's birthday, pick up a drink, feel sad, pick up a drink. So instead of learning to feel things, I masked it. And I didn't, I didn't consciously do that. I was, that was just a creature of my routine. But now I know, okay, so now when I feel a certain way, how do I, how do I process that? What does it feel like to feel this? And this is cool. Like I look at this as an exciting part of life where I get to experience that now. And I've had feelings that I don't like, but that doesn't mean I cover it up with alcohol. That means I learn to feel it. Yeah, it's a great point. And uh, we, we have these messages from a young age around not feeling. Don't be sad. Don't be angry. Don't be upset. I feel like I'm having mm. the same conversation with guests every week, but it's, it's such a true pattern. We, and we would have caught ourselves doing the same thing to our kids. And so the pattern sort of repeats. But then our body shows us different feelings that are there and this internal contradiction going on. So it's like to me, it's no wonder that people are driven to all these different vices because it, it's just confusing, right? Mm. Yeah. And where did, when, like, when do we get taught how to feel? Like and, and you're, you're, almost, you're almost thrown out into the big bad world, you know, although we've got our parents that have loved us and cared for us. Hmm. Our parents only know what they know, and I only know what my wife and I know now with our children around teaching things, but I'd like to think that we are evolving and we're improving that experience. But, yeah, I mean, that's the first time I've ever said that, but who teaches us how to feel? Like, who really teaches us that? And uh, Is there a right and wrong way to feel something? I don't know. Well, like my thoughts are is like, that probably comes pretty naturally. We don't teach people how to feel. We, we've taught them how not to. Sure because of the messages yeah. that we continued to, to, to drum into them. It's, it's, and, how's, and how's that going? Yeah, exactly. And if you think about when someone's upset, we, we, we hate watching someone else upset, so what do we try and do? We try and cheer them up. So we're mm. forever running this pattern of not only not allowing ourselves to feel, but trying to stop other people as well. Yeah. And, yeah, so it – but – you got to that point where you become a father and that changed everything. So, so how so? How so? I guess it was, I had a, um, and, and, and I'm okay with getting emotional and I'm, and I'm sure you are too, but I had a father that um, was the best role model I could have ever asked for. Um, and, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to keep that legacy going, I guess. I, I guess it meant that much to me that I didn't want to be a, a father that couldn't couldn't be present, a father that had to live that life that he that he lived, and and something something had to change, and and the only thing that that was was me. Yeah, and you can steer me in another direction as soon as you're ready, because I know this is pretty raw with what's gone on over the last couple of years. But like, what what was it that your dad gave you that? you just feel so uh, humbled by them and wanted to, to take that forward to your children. I've said this, I've said this, mate. So for those watching that don't know who I am, my dad passed away last year. He passed away in June uh, of 2021. And, um, and, to, and, and, and throughout my life, and I don't know that there's many people that would ever be able to say this, but I couldn't fault my father. Um, he was kind, he was gentle, he was present, 
He was a brilliant husband, a fantastic father, a, a, an amazing friend. Um, he only ever worked two jobs in his life. He was in the Navy for 15 years, I think, and then he worked for Australia Post for the remainder of his life. He was Mr. Consistency. He had a great sense of humour. He was, he, was, he was an amazing man. So, you know, when, when the bar's set at a certain level, you know, you've had a brilliant opportunity to have someone pave a way for you. It would almost be a very sad story if I didn't, you know, try and step into that in some capacity in my own way. Dad, dad was dad and, and I am who I am. Um, but I, I valued greatly the example that, that was given to me um, and something clicked when I became a father and I love being a father. Like, I love being a father. I love being an uncle. My brother has two older children than mine. And I remember the first time I became an uncle, it was a very special moment for me. Like, it was huge. Blake's now 18, 19, I think. Um, and, and I remember what that felt like. And, and I've always wanted to be a father. And, and, and I, I guess I was a late starter becoming a father compared to some. And I, and, and, and I guess it was, you know, I, I guess I'd had enough sobriety to recognise that now's that time for you to make the rest of your life the best of your life and, and, and as a father being present. And, and you know, I, 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 I consider myself grateful, but I, I also believe that, you know, I haven't done this on my own. There's someone, and I was brought up in a Catholic family. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I don't identify as a Catholic, but I identify as someone that believes in, in God. Um, and I know that there's someone out there looking after me and someone out there that's, that's you know, leading me in different directions. And, and um, I feel that happened at that point for me. I feel there was a, there was a, you know, a, a, an adjustment made and, and, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And I think anyone who's had children can identify with, the moment where where they're born and and just the well the joy, but then suddenly the responsibilities thrust upon you that there's this tiny creature that needs depends on on you to yeah. to keep it safe and and all of the other things that come around <laughs> those young years and and I don't know about you, but there's part of part of me that was like can I even do this? Like, yeah. like what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? What have we done? And then, and then the moment that you describe where you, where you like, I've got to be better. And yeah. I'm interested to hear how long that took, because for me, there was a desire to get better immediately, but then I didn't know how. So then it's like going on a journey to find out, well, how, how do I even do this? Yeah. So what was that like for you? Was it like, you know, you, you, the birth of your child, instant sobriety, or uh, was it more like a gradual thing? How did that unfold? Yeah, look, there wasn't any alcohol in my um, in my. So from when my eldest daughter was was born, she's eight now. Um, there was no alcohol, um, but there was a bit of pot around in the early um, in in her first twelve months. Um, and then I remember I went away on a. I know my wife went away um, and took. Um, took Emily, who's our eldest daughter, up to see her dad in Queensland. And I remember I picked up a drink when she was away. Uh, and when she came back, there was like a moment of, I've messed up, like I really messed up. So there was, that's probably the point, and that, that was my last drink. It was the 16th of September of 2015. And, and at that point, 
you know, I couldn't do, I, um, I, I had to, I, I remember thinking to myself, I can't make the things that I've done wrong better, but I can make myself better. You know what I mean? And, 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 and there was, there was a level of, like, I felt like I let my wife down, you know, and I'd let myself down. And I remember, remember, I think I went for a run and, and, and running is not something that I, I did a lot, but I remember going on a bit of a run and there was just a moment of came back. And I remember, I think I said to Aaron, I, I can't fix the, the things that have, that I've done wrong, but I can, work on myself and I can fix myself and, and I believe that. And then and I guess that was probably the, the start and, the, and, and I guess the evolution of, of my personal development. And, and then I got, you know what? I got obsessed with personal development. Like I genuinely got obsessed with personal development. And what that looked like for me was I started reading. I started, um, you know, and I did simple things. Like I Googled what do successful people do? And if you do that, you get some interesting you get some interesting patterns of behaviour. Yeah. And I talk about this with people in our coaching program today. I go, well, let's look at what successful people do. And then I started to fine tune that. But one of them was reading, and 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 I remember a quote that if unless you get the opportunity to travel a lot and experience different things around the world, or unless you're doing study and courses and furthering yourself, then pick up a book and read. And 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 I created a very stringent routine around reading. And for me, that was to wake up. So I, I own a fitness business and I used to coach sessions. Um, and I coached, I, I was a sole trader for many, many years in the early part of my business. And my business is 10 years old in a few months' time. And in the early part, I was working by myself as a sole trader and I did all the sessions and I coached at 6 a.m. every morning. But I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and I would read from 4.30 till 5 o'clock. And then I would practice a little bit of meditation for about five to 15 minutes. I would have breakfast and I would be out the door at 5.30 ready to coach at six o'clock. And I, and I, I created a routine around that and I, and I drilled it in. And then I got interested. It wasn't just a routine, but I, I was reading books that, that were making me think and do differently. And most of those books are behind me now. And, and one of the things that I wanted when we built our gym here was I wanted an office with a desk and books behind me like this, exactly like this. And I wanted to be able to share those books with people. And I do that today. People come in, we have a chat, I say, here's the book for you. And, and I do that because I want to share what was given to me and that was the opportunity to be better. I love it. And actually the first time we met, we were talking about books almost straight away. We were talking about a particular book and you go, yeah, I've got it right up here as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a great way to connect. And I don't know if you if you well, I can tell how passionate you are about that for one about the the impact that they've had on your life and how you just want to pay that forward. And uh, I think about some of the books I've loaned out, which which are still on loan somewhere. I can't even remember where they where they are. Yeah. But there's just so yeah. much value. But I don't know if you relate to this, like uh, that obsession. The early stages for me was like that as well, and I just wanted to help everyone and convince them all that you've got to look at this, you've got to look at that. Mm. No one's interested in hearing that if they're not ready for it. So was that, was that yeah. anything that you could relate to and in, in when you became obsessed? Look, I'm sure it's probably come across that way and it's interesting that you say that because I, now I'm much clearer on the fact that when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, look, but I also, I also believe that there's a need to, if you are learning something, then try and teach it to someone else. And, and that then reaffirms what you've actually learned, you've understood, if you can then teach it to someone else. But if you're in the wrong environment and you're trying to teach the wrong people, it's going to fall on deaf ears and, 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 and then you will lose some of the impact. Today, I'm, I'm very, very, like very, very, I'm going to say grateful. I'm not going to say lucky because I feel like it's something that we've fostered and, and we've nurtured. But I have a community around me of people that want to be better. Um, so the ability to share that today is 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 very present for me, um, and but I also recognise that people will 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 pick up what we teach when they're ready. But sometimes the job of us as a coach is to give that little friendly tap on the shoulder and, and remind them it's time to take action. It's time now to to step into that next stage because while you stay doing what you're doing, not much is going to change. Um, yeah, look that that. For me, it was very much doing first. You know, I needed to do, 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 do until it was who I was, until it wasn't something that I needed to think about. And now when I talk about it and I coach, it's not something that I need to think too much about. It's something that for me comes really naturally now. Um, But that's after many, many years of practice and practice and practice. Yeah, love it. Um I'm really drawn to a few different things you've said and, and the the areas that seem to be the most challenging where were the times when you were having to do it on your own and the areas that are giving you the most joy where where it's like as part of a team and, and you even describe that now as the community you've built and how much pride I can tell you have in that. So tell me about some of the struggles of – and I say, I say this as someone who's a, an extrovert who's heavily dependent on connection. So – me stepping away from a from a workplace where I was within a team, then doing things on my own, has mm. been a massive challenge. What sort of struggles have you had when when you've been left to your own devices and had to do things on your own? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting, and that's cool to be able to go back over the years because for many for many of my early years in business, so my wife and I. Um, so I, I resigned. So I had a small stint away from the fitness industry in a different industry. Uh, so we got married in, in March. I resigned from, um, from my job in August and I literally had about a three-month stint. I, I literally had about a three-month binge, to be perfectly honest with you. I literally binged, like, you know, told people I was having a break looking for some more work, but I was binge drinking, waking up, drinking in the morning all through the day. And then that was at about that time that I had that that close to scare with the police. That was starting to be the catalyst of change. And then I looked at purchasing a what was then known as a, a, a business called Step Into Life, a fitness franchise business. We looked into it. We asked some questions about it. And then um, my wife and I, reviewed it and then said we can do this on our own my wife was still working in a, in a in a different industry at that time and then so we started our own business we created what is now known as go pt group personal training go pt originally stood for great outdoors personal training we're an outdoor business trained in a park in st mary's that's where it all started yeah. um and i felt like because i'd had a fair bit of experience in the fitness industry i just thought i could do it all on my own and i did I did it all on my own. I did all the coaching. I did all the marketing. 
I did all the content creation. Um, my wife my wife was very helpful with the, with the books because that's not my forte. But for probably the first three years of business, I never I never sought any help. I never asked for any coaching, any mentoring, didn't pay for anything additional. And now I look back at it and I go, oh, I knew that if I reached out for help earlier, I would have been more successful earlier. But that's cool. I needed to learn. I needed to go through that process. But then I started to dive in. I got some business coaching, made some changes to structures, did some things differently, and business started to grow. And then that got me to, to truly let go of the ego side of it. And now I have coaches for different areas of my life and have for many, many years. And for me, it's, it's perfect. Like, it's a perfect scenario. Like, why would I continue to try and fight this thing on my own when there's people that can help? And, you know, for years I had a business coach. For years, I've had a nutrition coach. Still to this day, have um, a, a physical coach that programs for for, for Jenny and I. Uh, Jenny works with me. Uh, we train together. We compete together. Um, and now I, I pay someone to keep me accountable. I pay someone to steer me in the right direction. I pay someone to to say you're doing a great job, but we can do more. Or, you know, whatever it is. You know what I mean? That concept of the the coach being coached. I love today. You know, the best athletes in the world don't get to being number one without a coach. And and I think that's it's all too common for people to want to do it on their own. Hand it over. You know, that's one less thing for me to have to think about, worry about. And I know that in all areas of my life, it's better because I've got a coach. I consider my AA program my sobriety coach. Yeah, I love it. Um, for those who are regular listeners, I did a an individual podcast around exactly that, like Roger Federer, yep. the great Roger Federer. He thought he didn't need a coach for, for a time there around the mid 2000s. I heard and, that, uh, I heard that. Yep. Yeah. And as it turns out, he realized he did. And uh, yeah. so, and he went to who, the, the best at the, at the time, which was Tony Roach and yeah. the rest is history. Right. And, yeah. and it touches on something you mentioned before is that when, when we're helping people, we ask some questions on what they want. Okay, cool. Well, if you want to do that, then here's some strategies that might help you do it. Because otherwise you're just kind of like flying blind, right? You're like, I want to do this. I've kind of heard a bit of this and I've heard a bit of that, but without having that opportunity to, to process it and, and talk about it and have a different perspective that's not emotionally invested in the journey, then you struggle to make sense of it. Yeah. Look, and, and it's interesting, different people, different coaches have different strategies. And for me, when I, when I seek a coach to, to be my coach, I want a coach that, 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 is, that, that fills me with confidence, not, not by giving me a pat on the back, but they know what direction they want to take me. Like for me, I don't want a coach that goes, all right, Matt, we could do this or we could do this. What do you want to do? No. I'm paying you to be my coach. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I'll go all in in that, you know? So if my coach says I need you to go and run five kilometers and then deadlift 200 kilograms, that's what I'm going to do. But if my coach says, you've got a choice today, you can either run five kilometers or you can deadlift 200 kilograms, which one do you want to do? That doesn't work for me. My style in being coached is tell me what I've got to do. And then we actually, we actually say when our, when people join our program is we want you to trust the coach. We want you to know that the coach is going to have your best interest at heart and the coach is going to make suggestions and, and we want you to, to jump on those suggestions. 
um, because I feel that's, that, that brings about a better level of compliance around taking action. Because if we're leaving, like I believe as a coach, if I'm leaving my athletes with too many choices, they'll sit in procrastination and not take action. Whereas if we can go, let's be crystal clear, let's take this action. And you know what? Maybe it won't work, but at least we know it won't work and we can find another way to do it. Just a thought. Yeah, and and there's a million different ways to do it. I would say that even though you're you're wanting to have the decision made for you, you've still had to decide what the purpose of that whole exercise is in the first place, right? It's still your you, you're there for a reason. You know why you're there, and yep. either of these two things are going to work. Yep. This is the one that, we, that I recommend. You still got a choice. He's going to recommend it, but you still have a choice, right? Yeah, you can still not do it, or you can still go. I'm not working with you anymore. Like I'm going to yeah. go find another coach. Yeah. But I feel like there's that there's a need for, you know, we've got to choose the the. Uh, I did a post on this a little while back, but we've got to, you know, we've got to choose our heart. We've got to choose. Okay, there's going to be there's going to be difficult decisions to make, and if we keep choosing the easy road, that's going to lead us to happen to make some other real hard decisions later on. Or we can choose the difficult road now. We can choose the difficult road of taking more action getting more sleep, eating a different way, connecting with different people, and then that will bring about a better outcome. But if we keep staying in that, you know, we talk about the comfort zone, not taking action, hanging around people that aren't really helping us. Nothing's going to change. And at some point, we're going to break. Physically or mentally, we're going to break. Mm. Uh, Jim Rohn Jim talks about the two, the two easies. Yeah. It's easy to have the discipline to do all those things you talked about and it's easy not to. Yep, yep. And it's the same, like, it's hard to do the things that you need to do. It's even harder to not do them yep. because you're still going to have struggles, but you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. And that's, to me, that's the, the greatest benefit of having someone to give you the strategy, give you the, the system that's going to work for you, then, then away you go, right? You just plug in and, and here you go. And it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's interesting as a coach um, seeing what we can see as a clear path of action to help that person with the problem that they've got, yet they still don't take it. And that's one of the things that, that I work with, with with my team here is, okay, well, how do we – what do we need to do to help this person take the action that they need to take? Um, and I haven't got the answer on that one. You know, I haven't got the, the formula yet. Well, to me, it's something you touched on before. You talked about the heart. And mm. when you can get people tuned into what they truly want in their heart, then the decision on what to, which path to take is easy. As a coach, you can give them any number of different options. Obviously, the good coaches are going to narrow it down to the one that they think is the best. Mm. Yeah. It's still allowing space for the for the heart's desire to come through because we all have at our essence what, what it is that how we want life to be. And God knows life throws enough contrast at us to show us there's plenty that we don't like and there's plenty that we do. Yeah. And it, I guess the, the word that comes to mind is empowerment, is mm. to, to empower them to be able to have the confidence that they are making the right decision for them. And, and I, I learned this the hard way because I've worked with a heap of coaches that had incredible systems and they taught me so much, but it was ultimately, it's this way. Yep. And that didn't work for me. I, I much prefer to have, I need to have what works for me 
and this system will take me to some point, but it's not yeah. going to take me to exactly where I want to go. And ultimately that comes back to having a structure in place because that's, that's how I thrive is structure. And then I can make the decision myself, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think there's, there's also got to be that level of I'm prepared to change what I think might work or, you know what I mean? Like I know that how I coached people 10 years ago was very different to how I coach people today. And if I'd stayed stuck in that belief system from 10 years ago, there's a real problem there. But today I recognize that I'm allowed to change what I believe. I'm allowed to change what I understand to be true. And, and yeah, and I feel that's really important because we just, otherwise we, we stay stuck in that, you know, well, this is what it's got to be like. But hang on, if that's not working for you, then let's change it. Let's change the belief system around it and then let's change the behaviours around it. 100%. That's what I love about these chats, right, is that another Jim Rohn one, you talked about, you know, he said the, I think him talking about that when the student's ready, the, the uh, teacher Teacher will appear. It's it's the same with um, when you're having a conversation. The teacher is transformed, the student is transformed, and if we're talking about this specific example where we're having a conversation where at different times you've been teaching me and at different times I've been teaching you, the listener is also transformed. And to me, this is like just such a, a, the gift of this medium is to be able to have these conversations that not just have one benefit, but endless benefits for everyone who's tuning in as well. And not only, and, and the first time that we experience that, like someone might watch this and, and then they might watch it again, that next time, they're different. They might receive the message differently. Like, you know, we, we talk about the books. I've read some of my favourite books I've read a couple of times and I know that at different stages in my life, I've received that message differently and that's because I'm changing, I'm evolving. Yeah. Um, you said that or you listen or you read the same part of the book and go, is this a new book? Like, I don't even remember this, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the beauty of it yeah. and that's what comes with, with going through the growth. Um so I was asking you about like having to do things on your own and yep. you were talking about how like with business that you made that conscious choice to, to do on your own, but you also to- talked about the benefit of having someone there in your corner. If you yep. look back at um, the journey, were, were you always someone that, that really thrived in that, in that group, in that sort of community aspect? Um. I don't know. I don't know if I would say I thrived in. I, I didn't. I didn't recognise the power of community until the last few years. I really didn't. So what? So when you were a kid, did you gravitate towards groups? Did you? Did you do like what sort of things? Did you get up to? So from a sports uh, sports perspective, played a combination of team and individual sports. Hmm. Uh, so I was trying to think about that. Did I move towards one or the other? In reflection, probably the sports. And the activities that I did better at were individual sports. Um, and, and I don't feel there was a, a, a conscious choice to go, I want to play this sport because I can be in charge. But, I, I, you know, I've had different activities that I've got really into over the years. Um, but I, the community, yeah, I, I probably would have, I, in reflection, I'd probably steer more towards um, throughout the years more individual type work slash performance. Even though I've always been in the industry that involves you know working in groups, 
but today, and it's probably more of a shift. Um, I, I can, I can really feel the power of community, and 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 I want that to be something that when we when we understand the power of it, and it's the right community, um, we can really make change, like individually, yeah. and as a community. Yeah, and I believe that. Like today, I have a really strong belief that if I can continue to do my best work with as many people as possible, then my daughters will grow up into a community and a world where things are better. And if I don't believe that, I'm wasting my time. Yeah, I love that. It comes back to knowing your why and and yeah. having that as a, as a moment of inspiration to actually yeah. keep you on the path. Yep, and, 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 and it takes some time to get clear on that. But when there's clarity in that, then everything that you do, for me, everything that I do then forms into does this sit with what I'm trying to do here or is this going to be a detractor? And then I can make decisions based on that. And, and when I say decisions, that's decisions based on individual interactions and big picture stuff. Love it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before, you know, some of those memories from those years through addiction where you were um, – they're not so great. Um, I'm, I'm also curious, like around, like around what impact it's had on your memory, but also, like, do you get any other physical impacts that still play out? Like, I'm kind of like, you know, picturing people in uh, when they're going through a detox and then you know feel like they've got spiders on them or whatever yeah. other things going on on their body. Like, do you get any sort of, or have you had any sort of impact of of those years doing that? Look, uh, to this point, I would say no. Um, that's, you know, that's unproven. You know, I think potentially if we were to do some deep exploration and some, some scientific experiments, there would definitely have to be, knowing the nature and, and the level at which I used and abused, I would feel there would have to be some level of impairment, physically and or mentally, None, however, that I am aware of nor express themselves in any form today. What I do recognise today is that our human body is phenomenally resilient and we are very much, we are very much a picture of how we look after ourselves. And, and that's not always within our control, but even when it's not, we can improve it. And I have some strong beliefs around this, but um, I'm 45 now and physically and mentally in the best shape of my life. And I have no doubt whatsoever that I will be better at 55. I have no doubt whatsoever that I'll be better at 55 because all the emotional and the, the, the um, you know, the emotional growth that has taken place in the last seven years has also led me to explore and maximize my physical potential. And I feel like I'm, I'm, in its, in its infancy, like I truly do believe that it's really cool because I, you know, I was doing all that damage from 18 to 36 and now I'm at that point where, okay, well, I've, I've stopped damaging my body. Now I'm nurturing my body and my mind. And as a result, I like to think that I am a really good reflection of the work that I've put in. But I also believe very strongly that from a longevity point of view that I am investing in a really good quality life. And, and I, I said to Jen, we went to Melbourne and competed in a, in a CrossFit competition on the weekend. We did really well. We're very proud of ourselves. 
But I said to her, I'd love to be able to compete with one of my daughters one day. You know, and my eldest daughter's eight, my youngest daughter's five. Who, they may never want to compete, but at some yeah. point I thought, how cool will that be to be able to do a competition with my girl? Um, so, you know, the body is very resilient. Um, you know, it gets to a point of diminishing returns and it's not going to turn, turn around again. Like people do that much damage, but I don't have any, um, any concerns that uh, my body and my mind um, has been severely impacted. I feel like there'd have to be something there. Oh, of course, but I love how you describe that because I, I feel the same. I'm like, I, I can't remember feeling as well as I felt, I'm sure, as a teen at some point. But I also think back to those years and, and the and the mental and emotional turmoil that I was going through, like maybe physically I was much better, but like overall, then, yeah, I, I can't remember a time. And to me, that's the, the greatest gift of doing this personal growth work, right, is to sure. to, to be able to have the most fulfillment and joy out of life that's possible. And, and who wouldn't want that? Exactly. And, and I really, um, you know, I talk about, let's put a deposit, you know, I say, let's put a deposit into the Matt bank. You know, what am I doing to make sure that, that Matt's growing? And, and, and I use that terminology with, with our community as well. But I, it's, it's a little bit saddening to think that uh, I feel like there's a, and I can't put a percentage on it, but there's, there's a lot of people out there that have never and potentially never will know what it truly feels like to feel well. And when I say well, I don't mean normal or average. You know, people go and get blood tests and they get told that their their blood works normal. Well, normal ain't, too, ain't that good, to be perfectly honest. And, and I, I'm talking about physical and mental wellness, like truly feeling alive and feeling connected and feeling fulfilled and feeling moments of joy you know the the book the the power of now like how how do we get ourselves into a situation where we can truly experience joy in all the moments that are taking place even the not so pleasant ones and how do we learn from them and until people put their hand up and go okay what do i need to do what's the work that i need to do to allow me to experience that and then continue to do the work well after the motivations left you um, then there's going to be a lot of people that, that you know, when that time comes, and, and, and I say this to my community, you know, let's get to that point where you're on your deathbed, you can say, I'm glad I did, not I wish I did. Mm, I love that. No regrets, right? Yeah. You mentioned that impact you want to have, and, and I love what you said about competing with your daughter. Like, I, that's that's one of my goals is to play uh, sport with my son. My, my daughter's more of a muso, so we've got to do that, right? It's not like we're ever going to perform at a concert, but we've got to play some music together, which is cool. But um, that that is something that, that, that really motivates me too because I, I just, yeah, I mean, how cool to do that sort of stuff with your family. But yeah. if you look at, like, from a biggest perspective around legacy, what, what's the impact that you want GoPT to have on the world um, for beyond just what you take them through? Like what's the impact? Look, I, I, I guess that's it. I sort of touched on it with I want people to be able to truly feel what it feels like to be healthy and happy. Like our one of our, I guess, underwriting um, missions is to make healthy and happy normal, to make healthy and happy normal. Um, and they do go hand in hand. And, and, and the idea there is, you know, we want to, to allow people to 
to experience better than where they're at. You know, and, and I take I actually take a, a lot from some of the things that we work on in the AA program and, and apply it to life. And one of those is strive for progress, not perfection. And 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 that's tough. Like that's tough to one accept that as okay, well I don't need to be perfect, but if I'm making progress, then that's that, you know, we talk about that journey that feels like we're making progress. Um yeah, the legacy. I feel like we've we've started we've started pretty well, um, but there's a long way to go. And and I say that insofar as the impact that we want to have, um, you know. And we talk about it if one person at a time can, and we call it the Go PT way. Uh, you know, what's the what's the Go PT way around this? And we talk about okay, well, we've got to make some changes. Um, to what we have control over. That's 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 ultimately how we get better. What do I have control over? Um, and that is in in our in our program, it's your sleep, your nutrition, your mindset, your physical training, and your connection with people around you. And we believe that when you make small progress in each of those areas consistently, everything gets better. Life gets better. Life's still going to be difficult, but you're going to be better in life. I love that. And my mind always goes to the bigger picture beyond that. And it's like, if everyone's doing that, then what are we capable of as a community, as a collective? Yes. Like, endless possibilities, right? Yeah. Like if we can, if we can truly focus in on what we have control over and let go of the other stuff, like there's periods where I go through where I, t- I totally disconnect from, from the news because it, and we, we know how, how much it can impact us. And the more then I dive back into what I have control over, life's better. Life is better. Um, there's just so many opinions out there, Ian, and it's really difficult then that people that that concept of information overload, and then it just leads to procrastination and no action. Hundred percent. And then people worried about what they're allowed to say, if they're going to offend someone, does this upset someone here? Again, it, it means that you're, you're living your life worrying about other people instead of trying to do the best for you. Mm. It comes back to responsibility, like you said. We all take responsibility for how we can be better. Yep. Then everything else will take care of itself. And so I love, I love that legacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Where can people find you, Matt? Uh, so we have a, um, a, a, a gym in Missionbury in Western Sydney. Uh, we we provide a, a bunch of um, a bunch of opportunities for people to get better. Um, we do one-on-one personal training. We do group personal training. We do online coaching. Uh, we do corporate work as well. So we do um, some work with um, depends on the nature of the business, what sort of work that is, but. There can be team building activities. There can be um, uh, seminars and workshops. Uh, we have face-to-face sessions that we do external to our gym here at Mitchenberry as well. So, but ultimately, our program, our program is is about teaching people how to to manage better what they have control over, um, and then provide the coaching and support to implement those changes in those areas. So there's, yeah, we, we are a, a gym in Minchinbury, but let me tell you, we're nothing like any other gym we've been to. Um, there's no mirrors in our gym. Uh, 
and 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 the coaching and and I say this with absolute confidence. And the coaching is is in my opinion second to none um, because what we offer in so far as improving people's lives is far far more than sets and reps and exercises in a gym. It's about truly grasping those things away. And we talk about it. We say we want you to be better outside the gym. You know, if you get better in here, that's fantastic, and there's senses of achievement there, but. Our job and our program is all about helping you live a better life out there and giving you the tools to be able to do that. And and when we feel that happens, then we really feel that we've been successful. Um, and that's, you know, I guess that's part of that legacy we want. We want people to be able to come back years after they've been impacted by us and go, because of the GoPT way, my life changed in so many ways. Um, that's That's what we're about. I love it. And it's giving them a reason to, to go to you beyond just the physical side, right? Because yes. once they get to that point where they're physical, physically competent, maybe they go off and buy their own gym, maybe they've got the motivation. We also know that uh, sometimes people's uh, attitude towards their physical well-being can, can wane, but, but if you're giving them something else, that, that mental strength and, and the strategies to deal with other parts of their life as well, then I can see why that's uh, very different. So great share. Yeah. Cool. You got a. You've said you got online. If for people who are listening to this and they're in other parts of the world, is there something they can dive onto and check you out and still get uh, plenty of value? Uh, look, I used to do some pretty. So I haven't done it consistently, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll put up. I can share my our website and our social page connections as well, um, and happy to share contact details so people can reach out and 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 the nature of coaching is just very very varied these days you know it it needs to come in different forms because people need different forms of it 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 can't be a one-size-fits-all approach um so the idea with with delivering our program we've put it in a way that we can do it in in different formats face-to-face and for people that want to work with us in a um you know a remote setting anywhere in the world um the, the methodology about making change in those areas that you can control we can lead you in the right direction from anywhere. Love it. Awesome. Matt, always good to chat to another Eels fan. Uh, even better when we can have a real positive chat like this that's going to impact people. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly about honestly about your journey and, um, and for taking this time here with me. It's been cool, Ian. I've really appreciated the opportunity, mate. Thank you for the invitation. And um, it's been really cool to connect, mate. You're doing great work, and, and it's good to be able to to uh, to connect with with someone on a very similar path, mate. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you. Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.